How are we doing, folks? My guest today is going to be Ezra Callahan. Ezra was one of the first employees of Facebook. He ended up spending over six years with the company and was the company's first product manager. Throughout his years at Facebook, he ended up being a jack of all trades and being in all aspects of the business while the company grew exponentially. He learned leaps and bounds there and decided to try his hand in the field of entrepreneurship. He ended up being a co-founder and the chief investment officer at Arrive Hotels and Restaurants. And in this episode, we go through and talk to Ezra about the challenges of entrepreneurship, all that he learned uh, so far throughout his career in business and his time at Facebook. I hope you folks enjoy this episode. Please make sure to like, share, and subscribe. Also, on Ezra's behalf, In the Arena is donating $250 to the Mama to Mama Foundation which shows mamas they're not alone by providing locally sourced care kits for new mamas around the world and reminds them they are loved, they have what they need, and there's a global community of mothers who have their back. To find out more about the Mama to Mama Foundation, please check out mamatomama.org. Thanks. You'll hear the buzzer here. Awesome. Ezra, thank you so much for uh, taking the time. I really do uh, appreciate you having in. We had a few different things we kind of had to work through, a couple power outages here and there, but we're uh, we're finally getting uh, to make this chat happen. So I appreciate it. Yeah, happy to be here. <laughs> so, uh, you know, one of the things that I, I really kind of wanted to start off with, because I listened to a few of your different uh, discussions and, and things like that that you've had and, and your talks and one of the things that really kind of stuck out to me or I thought was really interesting is you're kind of navigating your, your early days at Facebook and you just have, um, one of the things that struck me when you're talking about is just, you just have so many different hats. And I guess it's such an early, early on in, in that company, you know, it's growing, uh, the growth rate is so incredible and you're trying to, trying to keep up with it. And, and that's really one of those things I was just curious um, that at least touched me when I was kind of going through and, and doing some research for this, like, how uh, just speak to juggling those uh, different uh, aspects of the business and it being such a small company. I mean, you were the sixth employee there and uh, just, just kind of touch on that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've kind of always been one of those people who's, you know, uh, not an expert in anything, but knows a little about everything. You know, I was very into trivia as a kid and, just wanted to know lots and lots of facts. Like I, I remember I'd always get in trouble at school because on free reading, I would always choose nonfiction. Like I, I was the kid that read, you know, the Guinness Book of World Records cover to cover and could rattle off, you know, who had the longest fingernails of all time kind of thing. <laughs> um, you know, and that continued for me into college where uh, I majored in a program, couldn't figure out what I wanted to major in and found a program uh, at Stanford called Symbolic Systems, which was sort of a mixture of cognitive science and computer science, but required me to take philosophy, psychology, linguistics, coding classes, and just kind of all over. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, those early days at, the, at, at Facebook, you know, sort of played to my strength. Of a little bit of everything needed to be done. And, you know, uh, in those startup environments, you have to have this attitude of there is no job that's not my job because thing that you don't do isn't going to get done um you know and, and with where the company was and it, and it was something that followed me throughout my career at facebook of uh, i bounced around wherever i felt like i could be most useful uh, again because 
everyone, there were always people with more expertise. There were always people smarter me than me or better at me than something. And I just mm -hmm. found that my best fit was kind of being in the middle of it all. Um, first uh, within the, the product and engineering teams, eventually they landed on the role I was, was product manager. So I was the first product manager after being there for six months with no title. Um, but even within that, you know, I, I did work on some projects where I would be in charge of that project. Uh, but pretty quickly, my, my role became coordinating between teams and being the one making sure that everyone knew what was going on, mm -hmm. which required me to be aware of what everyone was doing and what was everything going on. Um, and eventually for me, that evolved into a role where I, I started the, the company's internal communications team, where it was, uh, you know, I created a role where now it's about helping the entire company keep track of what is everyone around the company doing um, as the organization grew. Um, so it's interesting in those environments because you, you know you need the experts, you need the people who are very good at what it is you're doing. You know, in Facebook's case, you needed the expert coders, um, the expert infrastructure guys. Given how fast Facebook was growing, you know, just keeping the site online was probably its greatest engineering feat. Um, you know, and and you need those sort of subject area experts, um, and they need that balance of those who can then be super flexible and take care of the rest. And, and that combination and, and all of the businesses I've been involved with, when you get both of those elements together is when I found businesses to be the most successful. Mm -hmm. And that sounds like, I mean, it's a unique skill set, uh, especially for you to know at least a little bit. And I'm sure you had to learn just a massive amount uh, in that short period of time. Um, but yeah, I mean, it really seems that that uh, would be super valuable to kind of you know, the, the humility you kind of talk about and, you know, I'm not the smartest here or there, but at least I have a, a knowledge base in every kind of area and can kind of guide the, uh, the companies. And, and one of the things I, I remember uh, listening you talk about was just uh, your longevity, which I thought was very interesting. And I thought um, it was, uh, especially in today's like uh, world, you know, it's like, all right, I'm not happy with this job or I'm not happy with this place. I'm here for three months. I'm moving on. I'm not happy now. I'm moving on to the next thing. And I feel like that's really, especially with the younger generations, kind of, uh, you know, moving on to the next thing rather than kind of, you know, sticking through and actually uh, getting some of that longevity and getting that real experience when, you know, you kind of have to persevere. Or you have to work through some, some different issues and problems rather than just kind of jump and ship. I mean, it's, uh, my mind is blown. There's a handful of people who are sort of joined not that long after me. Um, th this one woman, Naomi Glight, uh, who I helped bring out, bring on uh, about six months after I started, who's still at the company. And, you know, I'm, I'm in awe of the people who have that level of stamina, you know, and, and uh, my parents are, are the definition of that, of, you know, my dad finally retired last year after 50 years working for the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, uh, part, part of NASA here in Pasadena. Uh, my mom directed a preschool for 35 years before she retired a few years ago. You know, they, my entire life, my parents had one job each, you know, lived in the same house, have never moved, you know, everything. Yeah, yeah. Right. Everything. I think my dad's had the same thing for lunch for, you know, going on 60 years now. <laughs> um, so for me, you know, it's funny of... On the one hand, compared to a lot of the people I started with at Facebook, you know, I stuck it out for about six years. That 
felt like a, an eternity there. Mm -hmm. um, but in comparison to, you know, my parents and some of those around me, it proved to be a, uh, a run on the shorter side. Um, you know, startup environments are very grueling and, and Facebook was in particular because it wasn't just a job, it was your life. Um, and credit to Mark Zuckerberg, you know, for, for all the criticisms one can lobby at him, one of the things he got right very early on was a focus on company culture and this idea that he, he realized his work was his life and he wanted those around him to feel the same. And so he built really a community of like-minded people there. Mm -hmm. You know, almost everyone was straight out of college or in college dropping out. Um, we had a problem for a while of the, the people with family, you know, the, the few older employees we had with families often <laughs> felt uh, marginalized and left out <laughs> given that, you know, most decision-making was happening at, you know, midnight uh, around, <laughs> you know, a bunch of uh, fast food wrappers or whoever <laughs> brought in pizza super late or something, and they, they couldn't participate in that. Um, but there, there was really no distinction between personal life and work life. You know, we all lived together. We all hung out together. We'd party together. People dated. You know, my wife and I met there, and neither of us was the first person we dated at the company. Um, <laughs> You know, I think there's at least 20, maybe 30 odd couples who are <laughs> married, who created families together out of those those first early years, just because, you know, it, it was almost an extension for college. Mm -hmm. um, and when, when people ask me, what were those early days like? I, I tell them, you know, uh, for those of you who went to college, like imagine if your freshman dorm ran a company and that is exactly <laughs> what the first two years of, of Facebook felt like. Uh, Mostly because it was, you know, we, we basically just recruited our friends straight out of school and almost everyone who started knew someone who was already working there and just was absorbed right in. Um, so it, it was extremely fun and a great experience. But after six years of it, it was, you know, if, if you needed an identity that was not work, there, there was sort of only one way to, to forge that. You sort of had to break free and mm -hmm. go, go down a new path. But I mean, and, and for you, I mean, how much did that help in, in moving forward into kind of some of your other um, businesses like Arrive and stuff like that, that, that kind of culture? Because I mean, it's not, you know, you touched on with, with Mark that that was one thing that really uh, creating and kind of building that community, uh, you know, I feel like sometimes that, that seems like it could get lost in the fray. You know, it's one of those simple things when I've had other uh, coaches on or athletes or, you know, they always talk about that environment, right? That, that culture that you create kind of continues to cultivate winners or continues to cultivate, hey, this is the goal. We got to get this thing done. This is when the deadline is like, and everyone can kind of work and, and build in together towards that. I mean, that, that was sort of Facebook's, it's, it's one of the things that Facebook for being a, you know, multinational global company with you know over a hundred thousand employees something they still do incredibly well uh you know the crude way of putting it is getting people to drink the kool-aid you know the, the the positive way of putting it is they get people aligned with their mission and they get people to care about their work and to see how their work connects to the bigger picture um in the early days it was achieved by being very open and inclusive, you know, the, the company, if anything that was going on the company, you could, you could know and see and be a part of everything was debated, which is funny because Facebook is a very top-down company. Mark Zuckerberg controls the company, 
thoroughly <laughs> absolutely you know what he wants he get rarely gets gets dissuaded from what what he set his mind to and at the same time the most notable characteristic of company culture in the early days was an openness that you could challenge him on anything interestingly when i when i started the internal communications team i, I one of the things that, that fell under me as i took over the company events and so we'd have, you know, company-wide all-hands meetings about once a month just to update folks who are going on. And once a week, Mark would, uh, every Friday afternoon, he would host these Q&As that I would essentially be the host of, um, like literally the guy with the microphone running around <laughs> asking people questions. But um, before every Q&A, uh, I would spend about a half hour with him, just peppering him with the questions of this is, you know, me being the guy with his ear on the street, here's the things that I think you're going to get asked about. Mm -hmm. um, and just making sure he was sort of knew some of those things, especially the topics that were not front and center. You know, if, if the office was a buzz about, you know, a change to the bus schedule and people were pissed off about that, <laughs> Mark wouldn't know the first thing about it. So part of me was to prep him like, someone's going to ask you about the bus schedule. Here's the controversy. Like, um, <laughs> But at the same time, he always told me if there was ever a lull in the questionings or people were just asking, you know, bad questions, he was always like, your job is to ask me the hardest question you can think of. And it was, you know, <laughs> it was a pretty fraught responsibility there because it's both trying to set an example of openness for the company, me being sort of a, you know, very opinionated person within the company. There were plenty of things I want to challenge him on in front of everyone. <laughs> but at the same time, try to balance that with, one time you're going to ask the question wrong or ask the wrong, you know, say the wrong thing and you're just going to land yourself in a heap of trouble. And so walking that fine line of ask the hardest question, you know, without uh, abusing <laughs> that uh, privilege you were given. But that openness in the company really got people dedicated. And if people care about what they're doing, the output's going to be so much greater you know, even even overcoming talent deficits with just effort and dedication. Um, and it was amazing how dedicated and fully sold on the mission of what Facebook was doing. Everyone was back in 2005, 2006, 2007. And you have to keep in mind that's back when, you know, the early parts of that are when Facebook is still a college only site. It's not even open to the general public. And then the very early days of the company uh, starting to grow outside of college. And the world is still extremely skeptical of everything we're doing. You know, no one is convinced Facebook is here to stay. Everyone still thinks it's going to lose to MySpace or yeah. all of social media is a fad. You know, mm -hmm. nobody's convinced. You know, every, every time Facebook's taking these investments, I remember our first investment company got valued at $100 million. And it was like the laughing stock of the Silicon Valley for a month of who are these idiot VCs valuing this company at hundred million dollars, you know, who's made, you know, <laughs> Lord, Lord knows what they walked away with, uh, from that, um, you know, and, and building that dedication. And interestingly, that's actually been the biggest challenge in all of my business ventures since is how do you replicate that, um, shifting into the world of hospitality, mm -hmm. that is the greatest challenge in the world of hospitality is how do you get people, to care about what they're doing. And that that is, you know, in the world of restaurants, for example, that alone is almost what differentiates restaurants that succeed from restaurants that don't, is mm -hmm. having a staff that cares is probably your greatest indicator. You know, how sticky is your staff? How much are they paying attention to every little, little thing they're doing? Um, 
One, one of the funny things I, I noticed in being in the tech world, you know, everyone is being given incentive equity, you know, even to this day, you get stock options or, you know, what restricted stock units, they're now called, but basically yeah. you get stock in the company as part of your compensation to get you to stay and care, you know, and, and in our early days and still to this day at Facebook, they spend so much time and effort pushing company culture and getting people to care about their jobs and to understand the mission and feel aligned with the mission. And what's funny is that tech companies, it actually doesn't matter all that much. Um, for Facebook having 100,000 employees today, 90% of the company's success is probably contingent on just a couple hundred of the most important employees who are the smartest, sharpest, most talented at what they do, either product design, infrastructure engineering, communications, tech companies really are largely dependent on just a few people and the long tail of employees is there for support, but you don't really, you know, it's not as critical to the company's success that all of those people be fully bought in and, and rooted in it, even though Facebook did an amazing job of getting those people right. that engaged. Shift over to our hotels where the script is flipped, where we are most dependent on that long tail of employees because they're the ones everyone's interacting with. Us clowns at the top could have all these great ideas for this is the <laughs> hotel brand, this is our language, this is the design, this is the image. At the end of the day, a guest experience has far more to do with was the front desk person courteous to the housekeeper of the you know six rooms that housekeeper cleaned that day? Did they get every detail right? You know, missing one thing in a room can ruin it, you know, one Kleenex left from the previous guest in a bad sure. spot, you know, one dirty sink, you know, anything can just ruin a guest experience. You're the most dependent on that long tail of employees and they're the least well compensated and they're never paid in any form of equity or any kind of profit sharing, mm -hmm. you know, and there's no incentive for them to care about what they're doing. You know, a lot of times they're working at multiple companies that, you know, half our wait staff at our restaurants have second jobs at other restaurants. So how are you going to command, you know, loyalty, not just loyalty, but do they care about every interaction they're having and can they internalize that? That's actually been one of the biggest challenges for me is, is trying to figure out how do you replicate this in environments where, you know, you're, it's very, very critical that everyone feel aligned and included. You know, we tried a bunch of stuff that, that, we thought would work you know we, we tried an incentive equity plan at our first hotel mm -hmm. and it just didn't resonate or land at all um Interesting. you know and we tried all these things to try to build company culture and it proved everything i that that i thought had worked in the tech world none of it worked in the brick and mortar world mm -hmm. in the world of hospitality and we had to sort of, i had to really relearn what is it that keeps people motivated and aligned at the, those types of environments? And it, it was very, very different. Um, so that, that theme has proven the same of our successful hotels and restaurants very much have staff who are engaged, aligned and bought into the mission. And the ones that have struggled very much, that has been a struggle that that cultural struggle has been there as well. Mm -hmm. um, and so learning what has worked at some places and, and seeing what works at others and just how different it is from, mm -hmm. from Silicon Valley where the motivators there were so, so different. Yeah. 
Well, I think, and I mean, it seems like part of that, at least, you know, myself working in the hospitality industry and stuff, you know, years of the brew pub, high West, everything else. I mean, part of that, uh, those incentives that, you know, uh, there, there's a vision and there's a joy of, of workplace for, certainly, you know, I mean, there was a lot of times when I, you know, I was in the last few years of working at the brew pub, you know, while I was still skiing and everything else. And then I was kind of done skiing and I was going back to school, finishing up my degree. And I, still work there like a couple of days a week, essentially just to go see the people there. Cause I had spent yeah. so much time there. They had moved up to manager role or whatever else. And it was like, it was started to become th that culture of, you know, uh, of, about being about the people and then wanting to create the right guest experience of, okay, you're not aware of Wasatch beers or high West whiskey. Like this, this is, you know, it's really good product. And this is the reason why. So, I mean, it is, is one of those things that that can be difficult and it's got to be a hard process to go through and and vet those different you know uh I, for me it was pretty easy because i had you know it's like all right working towards skiing working towards these other yeah. things and like you have those other goals set in where it's got to be difficult in the other process where I, I would say some people might not be clearly as driven and and trying to figure out what what they really want to do and it's got to be a really difficult process to vet through all those different people because you got to have a lot of people uh, applying. Yeah. And then figuring out the cause and effect of, of company culture is, is a really difficult thing. I remember twice while I was at Facebook, they brought in outside organizational consultants for some reason or other. Um, and I remember one thing that was a lesson that I learned from both of them or heard from both of them talked about one of the, one of the most direct indicators of a healthy company culture in terms of being predictive of survey results around internal happiness and internal uh, cohesion on a team was the answer to the question of, do you have a best friend at work? Um, and it turned out that question was more indicative, was more indicative of the overall happiness of the company than any other question, even ahead of, do you feel your compensation is fair and proper, you know, do you, you know, are you motivated by your boss? You know, are you aligned with the company vision? It turned out the, the leading indicator of happiness or the most predictive uh, question around employee happiness and employee stickiness more than anything was, do you have a best friend at work? And it was really interesting of, you know, your answer to that question is an interesting one because it's not almost no company explicitly says our goal is to make sure you have a friend at work. <laughs> Whereas, you know, almost every other question the company would address, you know, do we, most companies know, you know, how are we indexing pay against, you know, standards for our industry? What are we trying to do around benefits? What are we trying to do around, you know, education around our, our mission products, et cetera. You know, no company ever is like, let's make sure everyone's friends with each other, you know, and sometimes you get team building stuff, but even then it's, you know, friendship building isn't really the goal of those in a lot of cases. Yeah. And so it was really interesting to think about, you know, clearly Facebook was successful and everyone at the company very much had a best friend and then some, you know, had lovers, spouses, you know, right. groups of best friends, roommates, yeah. everything, you know, but it, it really, led to that question. And, and it was something interesting I saw at our hotels and restaurants too, of that was also sort of a, it showed up there of the, the restaurant units that were successful. It seemed like everyone there got along, you know, the hotels that were most successful, the staff 
you know, would hang out outside of work together. And it really brought up the question, you know, this, this chicken and egg question of, is it because they love their job that they're friends? Is it just dumb luck? We happen to get a group of people who like each other. Is it, you know, what is it that is, is, is it something, is it the same thing that's causing people to be friends that's causing them to be happy or, you know, or what? And I honestly still have never figured it out. Uh, it does seem to be something you can't force. You know, you, you can't just have icebreakers and happy hours at work all the time and just assume that's going to work. It, it takes something more than that, but I'm not sure what that more is exactly. Um, mm -hmm. whoever, whoever figures it out is, you know, going to be super successful, you know, probably the, the best organizational consultant of all time. If, if they figure out what's that thing that gets people to, you know, be friends and put down their guard and, and, you know, and it, it makes sense of that back to that thing I, I, I was talking about earlier of, having employees who are aligned and who care, it makes sense that if, if you care, then you must care about your coworkers, which will lead to friendship, or is it you care because you're friends with your coworkers and that, that's what sparks the care. Mm -hmm. It seems like it can go both ways. Um, yeah. But I, but I think for any organization that's trying to assess what is our organizational health, it's a really good place to start um, because you know, if you know something's going right and you have you have some ingredients or you're in the right direction, if you see those strong friendships among your employees and you certainly know something's wrong and, you know, you need to start investigating what's going on, if you find that none of your employees or very few of your employees, mm -hmm. you know, are connecting enough that they, they go past that sort of colleague phase to actually develop genuine friendships. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a, that's a difficult thing. And part of, I mean, it seems like what you touched on is uh, when you were starting out in Facebook, right? I mean, it's all friends and then you're hiring friends and then you're hiring other, and then, and obviously the, the pool you're hiring from, you know, they're uh, talented, you know, that they're hardworking, you know, that they're smart, you know, all those things. So, I mean, it really seems to, to be peas in a pod with that, you know, when it's like, okay, I'm hiring my buddy. And also he's, driven, hardworking, right. talented, and he'll probably be pretty good at uh, creating uh, creating and growing uh, the vision for sure. So, that, I mean, it's definitely uh, certainly a, a, a tricky thing, but I think that, um, I mean, I wonder maybe you do, is it, you know, incentive driven of like, hey, bring your, bring your, you know, you do a company wide or you do a poll of like, all right, like a referral, right? You do the oh, $200 we, or whatever Facebook. else. <laughs> it was even more, Facebook was... <laughs> Man, it's actually one of my favorite uh, Facebook stories. I've, I've, I'm definitely a storyteller. I have lots of stories. One of my, one of my favorite Facebook stories was uh, I brought uh, one of my then one of my roommates, so uh, Chris Cox, who today is the chief product officer at Facebook, basically number three or number two at the company, uh, right by Mark Zuckerberg, one of those people I talked about who uh, he started in 2005 when we were living together. He was a grad student at Stanford at the time. You know, we'd known each other undergrad, living together. I finally convinced him to drop out and come work at Facebook. <laughs> um, and one of my main motivators was the company had this incredibly generous referral program at the time. Um, and at the time, the, the incentive was you got either $5,000 or I forget what the, some number of shares. Um, and I remember at the time, you know, we were in those early days, you know, the company didn't have a lot of cash, so we were mostly paid in stock, which, you know, in the long run proved uh, quite <laughs> quite fortuitous for a, a lot of us. But, you know, in, in real time, it was, you know, 
got enough of this stock, I could use some cash. So I'm not eating ramen for dinner every <laughs> night in my, you know, where, where, where Chris Cox and I was, were living at the time was a co-op. So, you know, we're drinking out of jars and, you know, <laughs> living three to a room and, you know, so to me, the idea of like $5,000, I'll take that. Um, in retrospect, I think that was a, a seven-figure uh, mistake on taking the cash <laughs> over the shares. Um, but to your point exactly, I mean, uh, Facebook and, and all, most companies in the Silicon Valley are very generous with referral bonuses because that that is everyone in, in tech recruiting will tell you that's far and away the best way to get people in the door. Um partly just for the, the technicalities of it, like what you are hitting on before, how do you vet people? How in a sea of applicants can you possibly figure out, you know, in the course of six or seven hours of interviews, how can you figure out that this person is worth investing in uh, for the long-term? Um, referrals were just the gold standard, um, you know, and, and the data within the company proved in terms of who succeeded, who stuck around, um, who was the best cultural fit. I mean, mm -hmm. referrals just always, always provided such a, a strong line of talent. And, and that's something we've certainly seen in the hospitality world. And I'm sure you've experienced it too, that, you know, people, when you can get people to bring in other people as their coworkers, it, it definitely gives you a head start, both in terms of having the possibility of friendships in within the company and, and and the benefits that come from that, but also the vetting and and you get that that dedication to each other, or at least that sense of responsibility to each other. You know, you're not going to have people flake and just not show for shifts if they're right. working with their friends because they're not. You know, they may leave some faceless manager hanging. They're not going to leave their friend hanging. Right. Um, so you know, I, I think that's one of the things that is universal. That to the extent you can rely on friendship and referral networks, you know, that, that is far and away the best way to build a talent pipeline. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Your friends are usually not going to leave you uh, high and dry too many times. Right. Unless there's a girl or something like that, you know, like, Hey man, what the hell happened? Oh, yeah. Yeah. For the, for the most part, they're usually, uh, you're usually in, in pretty good shape when it comes to that. Now, yeah. now for you, not only in your time at Facebook, but just over your, your career and even going through Stanford and, and schooling and what, what were some of those things that, that kind of drove you then continue to drive you now? I mean, where, where's that, that drive for you? And I know for a lot of people, it, 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 go, you know, some people are extremely driven, totally gore, goal orientated. And for some people, you know, they're, they're driven for a while and then there's complacency, like all times in life. You know, I don't think, I think everybody, you know, they see the storybook and it's, like this and that's just how it's right. supposed to go but <laughs> life usually doesn't work out that way so i'm just curious for you i mean where's the, your drive come from or, or what what kind of drives you i don't it's it's funny that i don't entirely know if I, i've always been one of those people that just kind of keeps keeps going even if i don't entirely know to what to what end you know one of, one of the things that i marveled at was the the people being around a lot of those crazy motivated people in high school and college and at facebook you know, the, to watch one of the co-founders of Facebook, Dustin Moskovitz, you know, kills himself at Facebook for four or five years and then leaves and starts uh, Asana and immediately throws himself back. You know, at, at the point at which he leaves Facebook, the company has made it. If he wants to retire and do nothing, that avenue is entirely open to him. Even if he wants to take it easy, just become an angel investor, you know, which so many people in those early days did. He can take that path where he's keeping himself busy and interested, but isn't having to, you know, kill himself. 
And instead, he just jumps right back into brand new startup where it's all on his shoulders and he is for the next three years, heads down, killing himself again to, to build another successful company. I could never have done that coming out of, of that. You know, I one thing that I think has, had helped me my whole life was I was always surrounded by people who were smarter, better, faster, stronger, you know. <laughs> um, growing up, I went to a small prep school uh, here in Pasadena. I, I ended up, I'm back in Pasadena now. I'm back living about three miles from where I grew up and my kids are very bizarrely now at the same school I went to, which is not something I ever expected to happen in my life. Um, but I went to this small elite prep school where, you know, by the time I graduated, I, I was maybe in the middle of, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it turned out I was in the bottom half of my graduating class and yet still went to Stanford, you know, and there were eight of us, a class of 85, there were eight of us that went to Stanford and half the class went to IVs or sort of Ivy level equivalent schools. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, in high school, I was not the smartest kid, you know, not uniquely talented in any way. Um, it helped me a lot because when I got to Stanford, I was already used to being around the types of students you encounter at Stanford, whereas most kids get to Stanford and for them, it's a culture shock because these are all valedictorian. You know, so many of these kids are valedictorians. Sure. If they were the smartest kid at their school, they were the best kid in soccer in their state, you know, all of these things where it's like they were number one and they get to Stanford that is a field of number ones and suddenly they have to, you know, realize they don't stand out anymore. For me, I was used to it because I had already <laughs> been surrounded to that. So I, I get to Stanford, you know, I'm content to, I'm not going to excel at anything. I'm just going to find my place and, and go along. Um, and I think that helped me well, kind of like what I talked about at Stanford, you know, when, when I get to, to Facebook, you know, it's, I know I'm not, I'm not the guy who's going to come up with the new algorithm that's going to make the site more efficient. I'm not the brilliant product uh, designer who's going to come up with that next big thing that's going to go viral. You know, even, even on the stuff I worked on, you know, I, I think just, uh, I, you know, I'm sure someone could have done everything I did better than I did. Um, but I think just, you know, trying to be that person who's just always curious, always willing to try things, very humble and very open, just always served me well. Um, I don't for a second pretend like luck isn't the biggest factor in where I've been more than anything. Um, you know, I, I think there's sort of two kinds of successful people. There, there are the people who are uniquely talented and driven and who very much can take credit for where they are. Um, and those, you know, I think you see that a lot in athletics of, you know, luck, luck has very little to do in most, most athletic disciplines, you know, maybe in any one competition, but, you know, it's, it's hard work and dedication and believing in yourself. Um, but I think for those of us that, that don't identify as having any unique or exceptional skills, um, I think it's humility and openness and, and insatiable curiosity, um, to just put yourself in position and uh, you know I can't act like I created my own luck but I guess I was did the right thing so that when those opportunities arose I was in the right place at the right time or in the right circumstances that I could make the most of it you know how I landed at Facebook was super random and stupid lucky of 
you know, was the year after I graduated Stanford was working on campus and living in a house with four of my friends who either, you know, one was a red shirt of senior on the basketball team had another year left. A couple were doing grad programs at Stanford and a couple were like me and were working in the area. We had an extra bedroom and advertised around for it. And out of nowhere, Sean Parker moved in with us because he needed somewhere to live at the time. And we didn't have any connection to him. It was, you know, a friend of a friend of a friend uh, saw an email we had sent to some Stanford list looking for a roommate and he moved in with us. And, you know, a year later- like That's the dude from Napster. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember my friend who had like put out the ad, like got this email back of like, just looked up this guy who just like is the only person who responded to our email and like, I'm pretty sure this is the co-founder of Napster. Like, <laughs> why would this guy need to be living with five random dudes in a kind of unexciting <laughs> house? And realize, you know, you don't make, Napster never made money. So, you know, right. he made, made a name for himself and had no money. But it was that dumb luck that, you know, met, met Sean Parker through there, lived with him for a year. We all moved out. And three months after we moved out, suddenly he was working at Facebook and emailed me. And I happened to be doing nothing at the time. Uh, I had applied and was going to go to law school the following year. And basically had what I thought nine months to kill and sort of, you know, was about to run out of money and sort of assumed, okay, I'm just going to have to go live with my parents until law school starts. <laughs> and out of nowhere, I get an email from Sean Parker. He's like, hey, I'm at Facebook now. You want to come work here? I was like, Sure, I got nine months to kill, might as well. <laughs> still still thinking I was going to go to law school. Um, I had lived through the, uh, the, the first dot-com crash was while I, I was a sophomore at Stanford when it, when it really unfolded. And the number of, uh, you know, students who had dropped out their sophomore year and gone to startups and, you know, for some period of time were worth several million dollars and suddenly we're, you know, now as a 27-year-old junior standing in line with me at the, uh, at the dining hall in the dorm, <laughs> realizing like, okay, like I've seen this dot-com story play out before. I'm not going to assume that this is going to be a life-changing experience. Right. Um, yeah. I was still technically deferring from law school the first four years I was working at Facebook. <laughs> um, you know, didn't want to give up that lifeline just in case. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, figured, you know, just the dumbest luck that I ended up there, you know, the dumbest luck being born where I was born and having the opportunity to go to the, the prep school I went to, you know, the dumbest luck that I got into Stanford, you know. Right. I mean, well, th some of those things you don't, you don't get to choose where you're born or the, you know, yeah. you don't get to choose some of those things for sure. And I mean, there's definitely a lot of uh, humility coming through and, you know, you're extremely humble. And one of those things that I can definitely tell, I mean, clearly he had spent the time with you, right. Or what, and that opportunity had created it itself going through like, Hey, who's somebody I could reach out for looking to hire people. Okay. Guys, clearly smart, talented, seems open, curious. I mean, all those things that you touched on. And I think those are extremely valuable uh, qualities that can be really hard to find. You know, I think it's, it's really difficult to find somebody that is willing to be open. And uh, cause you know, a lot of people that you meet are very closed off. And I think another, one of those big things is a fear of failure. You know, mm -hmm. taking those those risks and those opportunities. Well, yeah, it's a nine month flyer. Worst comes to worst, but uh, also at that same time, there are, a, I would say, a much higher percentage. They're like, you know what? Like, I, I'm good. I, you know, look look for somebody else. I'm kind of going to go do this because um, th there's that risk. And I think that that's that's one of the biggest things from a lot of the guests that I've had on, and and including yourself, is not being afraid to go out and and be wrong. Like yeah. take a risk or, or, okay, I failed. Okay. Back to the drawing board or, or whatever else. And I think that that is a very, very um, 
unique quality because that's one of those things I continue to to seem to to find and I think it happens more and more in our younger generation or at least it seems that way especially with the rise of um you know the interaction with some of those people and and you know they don't want to be wrong they don't want to well yeah. I don't want to look like an idiot <laughs> so I'm just going to stay here and and play pretend in my little box here and and not break through and and take those chances uh which I think it, yeah I mean I think that that's extremely unique and it's definitely you have to be bold at certain points in your life and you know uh as you say you're curious and 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 talented and smart so when you find that opportunity of like okay this seems like a, a fire of nine months and as you said you deferred for four years so even if yeah. it's not you <laughs> still have a little bit of like okay like we'll see where this goes but if not you know uh i i'm still gonna be okay i still have uh something to kind of fall back on yeah i mean risk risk taking is is definitely part of it. What's funny with me is I, so many of the things I have turned out to be good at were things I didn't think were things that would come natural to me. Like I talked about, you know, I was the one running the company all hands meetings and doing those Q of A's. I think of myself as someone who's terrified of public speaking and does not like <laughs> being the center of attention and being up in front of crowds. And yet there I was every week and, you know, towards the end of my tenure at Facebook, you know, I'd be there in front of like a thousand people, like <laughs> asking the CEO the hardest question I can think of, which, you know, talk to 13 year old me, that's like the biggest nightmare <laughs> scenario I could imagine. Um, you know, and I never thought of myself as entrepreneurial and I ironically still don't think of myself as entrepreneurial. And yet I keep getting into these new business <laughs> ventures and starting things. Um, so, you know, I, I think it is, it's a combination of both playing, playing to your own strengths, but, you know, it is being comfortable, being uncomfortable. Um, mm -hmm. I feel like I'm, I'm starting to sound like a, a Peloton instructor with that, but, <laughs> but you know, I think, it's I think true. that is, you know, it's, I always, you know, I, I remember like the first, the first time I ever worked with a trainer of any kind, you know, I'd never really worked out serious in my life and finally, you know, got a trainer figure if I spent money on it, that would motivate me to take it seriously. <laughs> But it was, I, I think that lesson that started with that, and that was the breakthrough for me, was that idea of knowing physically what it felt like being comfortable, being uncomfortable, and mm -hmm. getting past that point where as soon as something hurt, you stopped. Um, you know, and then on the opposite side of pushing through, as soon as something was hard, not giving up, and as soon as you're in an uncomfortable situation, not just shutting down from it. Um, you know, moving, moving into the hospitality world, one of the really tough things was dealing with turnover and how quickly, you know, you just don't have long runways in that space, as you know, from that space of you can't go months and months and months not succeeding. Those, those businesses really every week, you got to be on point, mm -hmm. which means you sometimes have to make fast changes, whether it's personnel or branding or other decisions, you know, and, and making those kind of quick harsh decisions doesn't feel like something that comes natural to me I, I usually want to let things evolve and yep. stew over them and be very thoughtful about them and then being in an environment where it's like no you got to pull the trigger you know if someone's not working out you know make the change you know if something's not selling yank it you know it doesn't matter how good the idea sounds on paper if it's not working own up to that really fast and, and move on you know, and that that's not something that feels like it comes natural to me, but it, it's something I have found myself to be good at in, in a way that that's surprises me. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I think that that's certainly critical having to be able to kind of pivot uh, on a dime of whether it's working or, or kind of it's not. And I think, I mean, clearly you, you learn that through years at, 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 you know, it's interesting how that shapes you over the course of, of your life and you kind of take and pick and choose. And, you know, one of the things, uh, one of the books I'm uh, reading right now is uh, Ray Kroc, Grinding It Out. And uh, that's been a super, you know, I've seen, I saw the movie, I saw the founder, but you know, the book, you just get so many different layers and, you know, uh, at 52 or 53 to kind of go off and, and dive in, in this whole new venture. And I was just, I was, it was earlier today, I was list, uh, reading um, him, him, how he uh, talked about the French fries and he was just, uh, you know, there's this certain way in this whole process. I was like, my God, this guy is really dedicated it to having the perfect french fry not only for just his you know i guess it's his the first franchisee he had in illinois but every single one that went after that this is the how it's got to go and you know what differentiates which you know i mean obviously mcdonald's is mcdonald's for that for that reason but right. just um super amazing to kind of to kind of hear the the uh value and them having to pivot you know having to make those decisions of you know, the ice cream's not working this way. And now we're going to go with the powder because it's going to be more cost effective and in the long term. And, and it's interesting to, to kind of see how those changes happen to happen uh, so quickly. And now, I mean, you know, uh, with the ever-growing world of everyone being connected online, I, I feel like you don't have that opportunity to like, hey, let's phase this out for six months or, or you know, let's roll this out for six months and kind of see what the feedback is, what this looks like. I mean, it's kind of that sharp, nope, we got to pull it. We got to make that tough decision. There, there were, <laughs> it was actually, you know, it was funny that two of the early guiding mottos at Facebook that you'd see it plastered on the walls ever, you know, Facebook actually, all of the offices have these sort of, I don't know what the right word is, but I'll call them like propaganda posters, <laughs> you know, these very, very well-designed posters all over the place. Um, but two of the ones that were kind of the most, most kind of core to the company that would get repeated a lot were uh, done is better than perfect and move fast and break things, which was sort of a notorious company motto in the early days. And it, it entirely hit on that, which was get things out, get things done. Don't worry about every little thing being right. You know, I part of me of my specific roles at Facebook, those two things made my life harder than almost any other things that the company believed in. You know, I'm the guy who's trying to make sure everyone in the company knows what's going on. So the idea of just being done and launching things, you know, the, the days I would be getting yelled at by one part of the company because of feature launch that no one had any idea was coming. And, you know, I, I'm trying to make sure everyone's on the same page. Um, and before that, when I was a product manager, you know, bugs on the site or features that didn't work right was like my nightmare but like I wanted everything to be functional and every edge case to be covered and meanwhile uh the ethos of the company is just launch it we'll fix it <laughs> we'll fix it uh on the website rather than you know we do not do long back then we did not do long beta periods it was we tested something out by launching it and seeing what happened <laughs> um you know and and there's there's certainly limits to that of the, the face, you know, I think as, as Facebook matured, I remember there was a little bit of a attempted nuance around the move fast and break things motto, um, you know, and, and the, 
there, there are certain types of features that uh, perfect is more important than done, you know, especially as Facebook yeah. moved into payments and mm -hmm. uh, getting into financial transactions, you know, those need to work right. You can't really uh, rush, rush those types <laughs> of things. But still that sort of idea of encouraging risk-taking, encouraging people just to keep moving, keep trying things. You know, it is something in the hospitality world we, we've tried. And, and one, of the, one of the cultural things that was successful was trying to give every employee some latitude to at least offer ideas, if not to actually try some things their own way. You know, in, in the food service world, that's difficult, especially in the kitchen, you know, line they operate very militaristically of, you know, line cooks do not have leeway to do anything. It's like, you will use exactly two ounces of meat, exactly like one gram of this, two grams of that, like mm -hmm. one daily, you know, one, one sprig of parsley will be exactly <laughs> in this location. Um, but outside of that, you know, we, we would always try to find, you know, uh, with housekeepers, for example, they're not used to, anyone ever asking them, how could you be doing your job better? They're just used to people telling them exactly what to do and yelling at them when they don't do it exactly the way they were sure. told. You know, we found some success with what would make you, you know, what would help you do this faster? What would make you happier? What tools can we give you that we're not giving you, you know? And it's amazing that when you ask those kinds of questions, what, what you get back from people and that, that level of engagement and, and those are the kinds of things that, that can get people to start to care. Mm -hmm. um, Certainly, if yeah. You, if you make it, you know, essentially you ask someone for their idea and you try it out, you know, it's on them whether it works or not at that point. Um, you know, no, nothing will motivate someone to do a good job to know that, man, if this doesn't work, it's on me. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. or, or on the flip side, if this does work, I'm going to get credit for it. Um, mm -hmm. Well, it also I, starts I think, to give them ownership, right? It starts to give yeah. them like, hey, this is, you know, obviously we're, we're taking your advice, we're taking your feedback and, and we're going to make some changes or we're going to give it a shot. Yeah, I think one, you know, and it, it kind of hits on one, one other thing I, I you know, I, Facebook was good at identifying pretty early on and, and Mark, you know, would say, would say, and for a while it wasn't clear if he meant it, but, but over time he did, which was, we would view it as a success if somebody essentially outgrew their role at Facebook and would leave, you know, if someone left to go start their own thing, that was viewed as a success story. The idea that Facebook wasn't necessarily somewhere anyone was going to spend their entire career, but if Facebook helped elevate them to the next level, that was still a success story for the company, even if that person left. And that, that was something I, I really hoped we could infuse into our hospitality projects were there, you know, there are very few people that work at a restaurant or a hotel who intend for this to be their long-term career. You know, most, most people front of house at restaurants, at least half the people will own up to, I'm only here to earn money for X, Y, or Z. I'm saving for this, or I'm in school, or I'm trying to make it, you know, here in LA, it's I'm trying to make it in Hollywood. Um, it's amazing that trope, how, <laughs> how true it is, like how many people that work in hospitality really are trying to make it in Hollywood uh, here in LA. <laughs> but um, uh, even in those cases, the idea that this company, this job will do something for you, you know, beyond just the paycheck, that if we can make it feel like if you are interested in hospitality, you will learn skills here that, you know, if, if you make a horizontal move, if you leave us to take the same job somewhere else, that sucks. If you leave us because you got offered a management position somewhere else, 
we need to view that as as a success. That if if somebody can get a vertical promotion elsewhere that we couldn't provide them ourselves, that's still a success story. And that 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 kind of care and concern for the development of your employees will become obvious to everyone, as opposed to feeling like an environment where either you're a disposable cog or we're just going to work you for everything you're good for and keep you motivated enough to keep you here. But our goal is to squeeze you for everything you're worth. Um, You know, to the extent you can create that sense of all of us are trying to get somewhere better than this or somewhere bigger than this. Let's all work together to support each other in that. And, you know, whatever form of professional development it it takes, whether it's just one-on-one mentoring whether it's just openly talking about that. I mean, what's funny is how few jobs openly talk about encouraging their employees to outgrow their current job, even if that means outgrowing the company, but that still just creates a sense of, of care and concern that if, if you feel like the company cares about you, that has to be an ingredient that helps you care about the company back. And even after you're gone to be an advocate, one, one of the biggest things for Facebook that I think saved it through many of its early firestorms was that even its ex-employees were loyal and would be out there defending the company and and speaking out on its behalf, even at that point when they didn't really have anything to gain from it and certainly had nothing on the line for it. Um, Even the hospitality environment, you know, it's a small, you know, it's a small world, especially in an environment like, you know, in in Park City, if you're running a (laughs) restaurant and, you know, you know, there's a boss who's a jerk to everyone that's going to get around and that company is going to have trouble hiring people. Whereas if you hear about, you know, this company has this motivational boss and yeah, their turnover is the same as others, but everybody who leaves, leaves on good terms and goes to something that was sort of the next step of where they wanted to go, as opposed to just going somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that's a, that's a really good sign that you've got something good going. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think allowing people, because I think, I mean, at least I hope that most people would want to aspire to more, not just, you know, you would hope that the cleaning lady wouldn't just aspire to be the cleaning lady or whatever role that you're at in Facebook. Like you want to move on and grow and, and continue to kind of challenge yourself and, and set new goals and not, not just, you know, stagnate. Um, right. So and, and, he, and even if that goal, you know, it's funny, I, like, like I mentioned, half the people working in our restaurants, Mm-hmm. are not there you know this is not a part of a. this is not a career this is a gig even then what can you offer them beyond just the paycheck that that will motivate them to give you give you more while they're there even if it's in service of something that has nothing to do with your day-to-day business mm-hmm. you know some sometimes it's just flexibility you know that alone just supporting Knowing, knowing that whatever else they're doing may have odd hours or may require them to, to need random times off, yeah, you know, no, or, or it's figuring out what is it that they want to do and what is it about the current role that could help them with that, um, or, or even just giving them opportunities to learn separate from that. You know, if we have wait staff who want to learn about the accounting side of, you know, how, how does the accounting here work just because they're interested in that give them the opportunity to, to peek into that, um, give people management opportunities 
that you might not be inclined to otherwise or, or give people responsibility, let them take a crack at something, even if it seems like it might be a stretch for them, you know, give them that chance uh, just to see. No, absolutely. Now, now for you uh, now, or even your time during Facebook, I mean, what were some of those things that would help? I mean, how would you be able to stay focused? You know, you say you get your hands everywhere and even with arrive and the entrepreneur business there, you got the hotels, you got the restaurants, you're kind of piecing everything together. How are you managing your time? Because that is one of those things that I'm always super curious about because I tried my best in managing my time and not letting the day slip away. Um, so it, it's one of those things that I'm just super fascinated with because there's always so many different answers. I have some people that come on, like I got my calendar booked out for like six months and then each day, you know, maybe I'll tinker. I got some people that'll be like, Nope, I wake up. This is what my day looks like. Some people are a week, some people. So I'm just super curious for you. I mean, how are you able to kind of stay focused on some of those daily priorities and, and have everything kind of tasked out? I think for me where I am, I mean, I, I definitely have flirted many times in the last several years with spreading myself too thin. Mm -hmm. I, I think, of, you know, it, it's a lesson I have to keep, keep telling myself over and over, which is, you know, you can either do a lot of things and not be very involved with them and then they won't feel like you're, your, you're yours and you can do that, but, you know, or you have to limit yourself and don't overstretch yourself, don't overcommit. And it is very easy when, especially it's one of those weird things of, you know, for me, my life having been completely transformed by Facebook, you know, uh, it's very easy and every day I have the opportunity, you know, I have new business ventures cross, cross my plate and, you know, there's always things that sound like great ideas or sound like really interesting things or really fun. And it's, it's part of it is just the discipline of really owning up to one's limits. It's also being very honest about what do you want? Um, you know, and I've gone back and forth over the last few years of uh, recognizing different levels of motivation I've had and respecting sure. that, you know, if I sense, and, and it is, you know, it's one of the privileges and luxuries one has when, one is in a comfortable place in life, like Facebook sure. has enabled me to be, of, you know, it is more up to me than any, you know, almost anyone else. How much do I want to work? Because I know that's not an option most people have. Um, but still kind of being very self-aware of where one is and not putting one, not setting oneself up to fail. Um, for me, I think there's an extra motivation, which is so much of what I do touches on other people's livelihoods that I, I think I, I constantly have to remind myself, even if my life doesn't depend on this, how many other people are in fact very dependent on this. I mean, I, I look now at all of the businesses I've invested in or helped start, you know, and there's probably a couple thousand employees that I feel partially or wholly responsible for, you know, I have to take that seriously. And anytime I'm starting to feel demotivated or want to just walk away, you know, that's something I have to keep in mind is, you know, mm -hmm. this hurts other people if you do this or if you stop paying attention to this or if you drag on this or deprioritize this. So I think being very sensitive to both putting myself in that position and really only doing so thoughtfully and then really owning up to that responsibility that even if I'm not dependent 
on this if I if I've created dependencies on others to be you know I'm I'm even more responsible given 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 how privileged and secure my standing is it's even more on me to make sure that the people dependent on me are taken care of and, and are not hung out to dry because I had a lazy week or you know wasn't <laughs> feeling motivated or didn't feel like I had to I, I think that's that's one of the that's one of the uglier things I've I've seen in some who've been in my situation is they just start things because they think they're cool and don't see them through and don't really think about the effect that has, you know, take the fire, you know, fire festival being like the best example of that, of like <laughs> someone has a cool idea and pushes it along and then it just doesn't kind of work. And they just kind of throw their hands up and walk and how many people get hurt in that situation that, <laughs> you know, to, to really take responsibility for those around you. And, and that the more, the more you have, the more responsible you are for, for others and, and for controlling the things you can control. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's definitely a lot of responsibility and a lot of, you know, you talk about thousands of people there, you know, it's like when I had uh, David Perkins on who, you know, founder of High West, that was one of the big things he touched on as he was kind of moving on and figuring out what was going to happen with High West, you know, you have Constellation to come in and, and were the, you know, the people that helped build up that company, where they're going to be put in a good spot for a bright future and where they're going to be, you know, taken care of. And it's one of those things where, not only about you, you have to be aware, or at least, you know, you want to be aware and you want those people to not end up in a, in a poor situation. Yeah, definitely. And then what's funny is actually the, the flip side, which was, you know, a lot of times founders having such strong attachments to their, their baby that they don't want to sell in a situation like that, even if it's a sale is going to create a windfall for all these people but it's not something you personally want to do because you don't want to give up your thing. You can run into that situation where as much as, you know, as, as much as making sure the decisions you make, you know, everyone's taken care of, you also have to think about the decisions you don't take. Are right. you taking care of people with, with those decisions mm -hmm. as, as well? And it, it is weird that shit, you know, you do hit some inflection point where anytime you're an entrepreneur, when you succeed, it creates this, this funny situation that you have to click in your brain that it's not just about you and your vision at some point, it becomes about something bigger mm -hmm. and you, you, you have to be empathetic to those who have come along on the ride with you and you, you cannot sacrifice them for your own journey. Or, you know, if you do, you need to be very well aware of that, that you're making that call and very conscientious of it right yeah no i mean it's i mean can definitely be difficult especially i'm sure at the moment when you're trying to decipher through those decisions that that's one of those things that for a lot of people can get swept under the under the rug or kind of people can lose sight on mm -hmm. now uh in in going through for you you know i know you touched on your parents and how the, the drive and hard work uh, of both of them. I mean, who are, who are some of those people uh, that kind of helped uh, propel some of the drive and, and for you, I mean, would it be mom and dad or, or are there others there that you kind of look at and um, was it the environment in Facebook and those other people not wanting to let your friends down and, and reaching those deadlines and, and everything else. I'm just, just kind of curious there. 
I've, I've somehow always been around very motivated people. And it, it's funny because I, I've never viewed myself as a motivated person. And yet I look back and it's like, I seem to have achieved quite a bit for somebody who doesn't feel like they were ever particularly motivated. Um, but I, I think it's, you know, I, I think it's just being in a community where expectations get set or just you're seeing the examples all the time. You know, it's one thing, it's funny, my wife and I debating, you know, where we we're going to send our kids to school and that they, you know, they did end up at a private school like I went through as opposed, you know, and, and debated a lot of, is that right? Or should our kids not be given sort of that privilege just, just because we have the means for it? What, what would be best for them? And if I look back at what was it about the school that had the most value? Clearly, you know, the resources that school has are obviously very elevated and, and there's so much privilege wrapped up in those resources. But interestingly, I think what makes schools like that really stand out is actually the community of parents and the expectations and motivations that communally get set from having a lot of people who expect a lot of all of the students and that rubs off on you that it's not just your own parents when you go to your friends parents houses you're picking up on that same level of expectations mm -hmm. you know that everyone expects you to do these things and achieve a lot and and you just kind of see you know you see that you got i get to stanford and there it's like the stakes are even higher where you know, now you're not just expected to succeed academically, you're expected to change the world. And, you know, <laughs> just being constantly surrounded by people achieving great things in a place like Stanford, it's insane where it's, you know, I'm surrounded by Olympians and, you know, I, just looking at my freshman dorm, you know, I, I still have a really strong group of friends that I met my freshman year, but looking at the other kids in our dorm, we had the, the NCAAs women's singles champion lived on my hallway you know I got to drink out of the NCAA trophy when she came home with the cup and we all got to pass it around and drink beer out of it um you know and there's like top level scientists you know there's politicians now um you know just to be in those environment around those people and I think just putting yourself in that situation where you just mm -hmm. see people around you achieving a lot it just instinctively rubs off on you that the people who achieve a lot aren't, yes, that there's unique attributes to them and, and they are unique people who, who stand out in different ways, but they're also just kind of ordinary people at the end of the day and they can come from anywhere and realizing how much of it, how much of motivation is really just something anyone can create in any environment can be created really registers with me that, you know, why a big reason why private schools or charter schools or other mission-minded schools are more successful isn't necessarily just the resources. It's also just the community of expectations that gets created that everyone in that environment is expected to do something. You're not just there. It's, it's not just that you're taking harder courses and you're expected to do well at them. You're expected to do something great with that afterwards and, and sense of responsibilities is in college, even working at Facebook, both within the company of people striving to do something and then people leaving the company to go do amazing things out on the side. You know, I, if I had wanted to just rest my laurels and do nothing for the rest of my life, I could have. I mean, that's the crazy thing about the, the amazing blessings I've gotten from having randomly landed at Facebook when I did, you know, and there's a couple of people I worked with who have 
taken that road and have mm-hmm. done absolutely nothing with their life, have cer- certainly nothing that impacted anyone outside of themselves or their immediate circle of friends, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I just didn't want to turn into that and didn't want to go down that road. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know if what, I think I've just always been, been surrounded by, like, I don't remember my parents ever putting pressure on me to do something, but simply by virtue of their example of, you know, my mom direct founded and directed this preschool forever. My dad was, you know, working on satellites that were going to other planets and studying the oceans around us. And, you know, it's just seeing these examples is enough to make one think, you know, any, anyone can have a life of impact. It, it really just is about trying more than anything and yeah. keeping at it. Well, yeah, I mean, it's one, you know, it's the, the I, I was thinking about it on the negative aspect. It's the motto, you know, guilty by association, right? Mm-hmm. One of, you know, I mean, I know that they say what I think you're um, motivated by the, or uh, most likely to be like the seven people or eight people that you spend the most time around. So, you know, that, I mean, that speak, kind of speaks to that environment and, you know, constantly being around that um, seems to, to lend itself where, where success is, is kind of going to happen when everyone around you is kind of like, Hey, we need to do this. Like, we don't need to be fucking around, like getting in trouble right. and making big mistakes and, and things of that nature. And I was always one thing I, I remember my parents, you know, surround yourself with a good group of friends, you know, don't surround yourself with the some poor character choices and, and things of that nature, you know? And, and it's amazing in most fields. I mean, you know, uh, Facebook and the tech world, obviously there, there are technical levels of expertise one must have to succeed. In most aspects of business, you don't really need any technical aspects. I look at my wife's extended family and so many of her relatives, you know, very few of them went to college and so many of them are just crushing it in different businesses, be it, you know, real estate development. One of her cousins started a hardwood flooring business and just drove and just found this niche and just nailed it and has built an incredible, uh, su- incredibly con- successful company out of nowhere. It's not so, he's not someone that ever thought about construction, cared about hardwood flooring. I still don't think he actually cares about hardwood flooring, <laughs> but just, you know, found a niche and just, you know, went for it. And I, I don't do a lot of motivation, what I would call motivational speaking, but occasionally when I'm, I'm talking to groups who are in environments that were sort of very different than mine growing up. I always try to make the point to them, which is, you know, you look around the world of hospitality, it is 95% of success is motivation. You know, there's not a lot of background one has to have. There's not a lot one can learn about the business from the outside. It is not, you know, hospitality is not an academic venture at all. It is very much roll up your sleeves and do the work and it is work anybody can do mm-hmm. so really just making people realize how much of success is just really about self-discipline and hustle and how far that that can get you in so many different fields you know anything sales related a couple of my friends who are very much sales people at, at heart how successful they are just just solely based on personality traits and doing you know putting themselves out there in uncomfortable situations and you know taking those chances of just talking to people and making a pitch that sounds impossible and yet somehow works out um 
that's something anybody can do if if they set themselves to it. Um, you know, certainly, you know, I, I don't want to gloss over and make it sound that easy that, you know, there are clearly so many circumstances that hold people back and structures that are sort of just unfairly stacked against certain individuals or groups of individuals. But, but it very much is, is true that there is so much success to be had in the business world that can come from effort alone. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that the, the self-motivation is is one of one of the most important skills one can have of just taking a chance learning putting oneself out there like how how much that turns out to be part of part of the formula for success for so many people yeah ab absolutely uh it, just just one thing to kind of kind of finish up here that I, that i wanted to ask you for for those listening that maybe are, are you know, piggybacking, we, you know, we talked about the effort and, and touched on some of those things, but if you had like one piece of advice, if they're going in, they're doing their, their startup or they're starting out in their business and, you know, they're kind of navigating the doubts and fears on, on, you know, what, what's the right move? What's the right call? What, what would kind of be one, one piece of advice for, for some of those people out there? I think one key piece of advice is that, you know, don't be, I think it is that sense of humility that, that recognize, recognize what, what it is that is working and what isn't, and don't be so attached to your, don't think you're so right that your idea is infallible and recognize how much more of the success is coming from your sweat and your effort than the idea itself. You know, that, that means if you, you know, be ready to pivot, be ready to make modifications you know, there's always these stories that come out of the Silicon Valley of companies that ended up succeeding at something wildly different than what they started with. Um, Lyft is a funny example of that, of, you know, we, I, I met the founder of Lyft early on when it was meant to be sort of this carpooling app called Zimride. And Lyft was sort of a side project of that, that they, you know, just kind of launched on a whim one day and very quickly took over <laughs> the carpooling app and became the thing um you know and there's so many examples of that where even even if the change isn't that dramatic you know you don't you're not completely changing your business model there's still subtle changes that make all the difference and so i think recognizing that that humility to not always know why something is successful or why you yourself are successful and just knowing it's all about plugging away in the effort and the dedication so that you don't get too hung up on thinking we succeeded because I'm smart or we succeeded because this was a great idea as opposed yeah. to we succeeded because we kept trying really hard and we pivoted and we failed and learned from the failure and tried again. That's just so much more important than relying on one great idea or just one person's expertise and, and thinking that that alone is what's going to get you there. You know, I'm one of, one of my friends from, from Stanford uh, started a toy company uh, a few years ago and this company has kept plodding along, you know, it was always kind of teetering on success. It's never quite hit that level of being fully, fully self-sustaining, but always feels on the cusp of it. You know, and the idea that they're now working on is so far away from, you know, originally it was about engineering toys for young girls. 
And now it's becoming about content creation on YouTube for all these different types of characters. And having watched the evolution from point A to point B, one reason this company has survived and continues to feel like it's on the cusp of success is their willing to pivot, willingness to pivot and to not have been so hung up of it was the, the idea was always the thing. It wasn't, it was the, you know, the original idea lit up the next step you were going to take and that lit up the next step. And sometimes right. the next step that gets lit up is behind you. Sometimes <laughs> it's way over here. You know, if you're lucky, it's in front of you and you, you've hit on that path that you can finally walk in a straight line for a while, but that's, that's the exception. I mean, most times when you're, when you're entrepreneurial, it's the next right step is not right in front of you. It's, <laughs> and, and, and realizing sometimes, you know, taking steps back is, is not necessarily a wrong wrong thing you know mm, yeah i'm sure sure that's something you know backwards king sometimes you start going down a path and sometimes the right thing is you know what take off the skis walk back up a little bit like this this canyon is not gonna end you know let's let's go find another trail here that's gonna get us back to where we're supposed to be um you know i i think that's that's a big thing that that often gets lost when people are trying to inspire entrepreneurs where it's always just you know believe in yourself relentlessly or relentlessly pursue your one idea relentlessness is definitely part of it but it's not being so dedicated to just that first idea or just one thing and really being open to the idea that what works is different than what you thought was going to work and your idea may not be the best one but always be ready to adopt whatever now seems like the best idea, even if it's not yours. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. Yeah. Wise, wise words. I'm going to <laughs> keep right. I've got my notes here. So thank you. Uh, thank you very much for, for taking the time. I really do uh, appreciate it. This has been an absolute blast. I've learned, uh, learned a ton. So thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks for having me. <laughs> All right. Thanks everybody. Hey everybody. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please make sure to like, share, and subscribe. And if you're watching or listening on YouTube, please make sure you hit that bell button so you get notified every time a new episode drops. Thanks.